21 days of prayer, and so tonight we're looking at praying for the harvest, praying for workers, for the harvest to be reaped in. Over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've looked at different things. We looked at uh, a prayer of awakening. We looked at the Lord's prayer, of aspects of it, of praying for God's kingdom to come and for His will to be done in our lives and in families and wider areas, and at praying for protection from the evil one. <clears throat> last week, we looked at... Um, interceding for others, Acts 12, and Peter being locked up in jail, you remember, and getting uh, delivered by an angel. And tonight we're looking at this passage, a very familiar and important passage in terms of uh, Jesus' priorities for us. Uh, There are a couple of things that Jesus instructed the disciples to pray for, and this is the first and clearest of them. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest, that he might raise up labourers and send them out into the harvest field, who were instructed to do that. Chapter 4, uh, whoops. Chapter 4, verse 23, has a very similar verse to this, that Jesus went through all the cities and villages in Galilee, that's where this is taking place, um, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease, every sickness. Um, that's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and this is nine, chapter 9, verse 35. And so that's Matthew's way of writing this as... He wants this understood as one piece, and that what happens between them is what he's been doing. Jesus has been setting up a model of ministry. This is how we should be doing it as well. <clears throat> um, in Matthew 4, verse 23, it's Jesus did that, going around teaching, preaching, and healing. But he did that with a handful of disciples. Three, four, five... In chapter 9, just here, he has 12 disciples and they've been through him through chapter 5 and chapter 8. And now he's going to, in chapter 10, the very next verse, just after this paragraph, he's going to commission those 12 disciples to be uh, the 12 apostles and he's going to send them out, which is what the prayer is about. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to raise up labourers to send them into the harvest field and that's what Jesus is doing. But interestingly, he's only going to send them to proclaim the kingdom, which we'll talk about in a minute, and to heal diseases. He doesn't send them to teach just yet. That'll come at the end of the gospel when he sends all of us into the world to make disciples and to teach and preach. Just by way of background, the cities and villages in Galilee, Galilee is an area of about 120 k's by about 60 k's, roughly. And in that, Josephus, a Jewish historian in the first century, tells us there were about 200 cities, towns and villages. What's the difference between a city and a village, or a city and a town? Answer, a city has walls, surrounded by walls with a gate. So there weren't as many of them, obviously, and they had a population of around about, according to Josephus, 10,000, 15,000, something like that. So not as big as our cities. In fact, the total number of people who lived in Galilee, that we estimated about this time, using Josephus's figures, is about 3 million just under. Um, The problem with some of this is that Joseph had a tendency to want to exaggerate things, to make things sound bigger and better than what they really were. The villages were just little small areas, like Nazareth, who probably had anything, again, according to Josephus, between, say, 200 and 400 people. So it's quite small. You would know everybody. Everybody would know you. And that was the sort of a place that Jesus grew up in. When Jesus started his public ministry, he went to a town in Galilee, up near the lake, Capernaum, and it was around about 2,000 people. 
something like that. Well, here is Jesus in the first couple of years of his ministry going through Galilee, through all of the cities and towns and villages. The important thing, I guess, to note is that for Jesus, it didn't matter whether it was in a city or in a very small you know, area, small village. It was important to him. And he went there. And he went to the synagogue and he was teaching in the synagogue. The synagogue started after the Jews got exiled to Babylon. So around about, say, the book of Nehemiah, or that'll do, something like that. About 500 years before Jesus. And, um, and you need, they had certain guidelines. Uh, the synagogue became the centre of the Jewish community. It was like a church building. It was where they would gather on the Sabbath to worship God. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it's where the boys would go to school. Girls didn't go to school in those days. Girls had domestic duties, and that's where they were raised. But boys were taught to read and write and to read the scriptures. Um, it was the courthouse. It was the town hall. The synagogue was the centre of the Jewish community, and they had a very tall pole, often outside the building. So you could, if you're a visitor to the area, the village, the town, or the city, then you'd quite easily locate a synagogue that could help you out. The minimum number of people you had to start a synagogue were ten Jewish males often 10 Jewish families, but 10 Jewish males. And they would form the eldership or the leadership of the synagogue. And their service is pretty similar to ours. It would begin with a time of thanksgiving and praise. They'd sing songs and pray prayers of thanksgiving to God. They would read the scriptures. They would read the book of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament. They'd read it in Hebrew and then they'd interpret it to Aramaic, which is more the dialect that people spoke. <clears throat> and then... They would read from the prophets, another part, section of the Old Testament. And again, in Hebrew, interpreted in Aramaic. And then they would invite someone, more like the Brethren Church today, someone to stand up and to, to share, to speak, to expound part of the reading that was given. That's what gave Jesus the opportunity to go through all of the towns and villages and cities and to be able to teach in the synagogues. He would be the invited speaker during that part of the service. So that's what he was doing. But he wasn't just doing that, he was also, I should go to the next slide, he was also proclaiming the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. I want to pause and talk about that. But he was also going around and also healing people, which is like demonstrating the kingdom. I did this in the second service, so Judy Scott has seen me do this. I don't think anybody else has. Are you following me on the camera? I hope you can see this. <clears throat> don't look up my nose. When you get told not to do something, it's hard not to, isn't it? <laughs> I need a pen. Got a pen. If we went and asked a person out in our community, what do they think? Let me acknowledge this at the beginning before I go any further. This is not mine. This is not original. I saw this the other day from the Bible Project. You know the Bible Project? Or it might be on Right Now Media. But I was watching something, some documentary on YouTube, and it was one of the things of related material. It goes for 28 minutes, the presentation. It's absolutely brilliant. I'm not taking 28 minutes, but the guy who does it, I commend it to you. I think it's what the Bible is really about, something like that it's called. He says, I'm saying now, if we were to ask a person who's not a follower of Jesus, 
um, but they know that you are. And if you ask them, what do you think I believe? Follow? What do you think Christians believe, in other words? They would say something like this. You guys believe that God made the world, and that's the world where we live, and life tends to focus upon us. We live our life. When we get to the end of our life, then there is a decision that is made. God does something at this point. We live our life trying to live above the line, doing good deeds, doing nice things, helping our neighbour, loving our neighbour. But we're not perfect. We also do bad things and wrong things. Sometimes we do really good, sometimes we do really bad. And it's not just the things we do, it's also the things that we believe. It's about believing the right things and doing the right things. And you might believe, certainly they will, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then at this point, God will let you into heaven. If your bad deeds outweigh your good deeds, or if you haven't been a nice person, or if you don't believe the right things then God will exclude you from heaven and you'll end up in hell. He says, that's pretty much what they think we think. <clears throat> and as you look at that, how many of you think, that's actually pretty close to what I think. Anyway, that's not true. That's not what it's about. And then he does this, which I think is absolutely brilliant. This is what the Bible is really about. The Bible's not about us. The Bible is about God. And this is God's space. God made the heavens and God made the earth. And he put man in the earth, in his image, to live for him, to serve him, to enjoy a relation with him and so on. But into this world, Satan came and Adam and Eve got tricked or deceived and they sinned. And because of that, that's then separated God's space from earth from our space we are now separated from God but God in his goodness has allowed an overlap where he sacrificed an animal for Adam and Eve so that they could come back into a relationship with him but as people got on and grew and developed this became worse and worse and worser covered in sin and evil the earth is now an evil place and heaven is a holy place but the God who made us is the God who loves us so he gave the sacrifice in order for this to become a space where God could connect with us and that's where the sacrifices and the temple and ultimately Jesus came into our world and he is the ultimate sacrifice he is the Lamb of God and Jesus came teaching the kingdom of God and it's good news about the kingdom so what did he teach what did he say well, he certainly said that we had to repent and believe. And if we did, then our sins were forgiven and that we would then become part of God's kingdom, God's space. And so that's what's happening in our world now. There are little pockets called churches filled with people who follow Jesus who in this dark world shine and live for him. And what God is doing and what God is committed to doing is removing evil from this world. Evil has invaded our world and God wants to remove evil from our world and that's what he's in the process of doing through Jesus. But God just doesn't want to remove evil from our world, that's the ultimate, and he will. He wants to remove evil from us. For instance, and he uses this illustration, 
Most people will feel, who are bad people? Who are evil people? Well, we all probably have a list, and depending on who's on it. On my list would be child molesters, or people particularly who abuse kids and then take them and sell them for sex trafficking. Absolutely horrible and horrendous. And I'd like them removed from our world, wouldn't you? Most people will. Most people will go, I'd like them to be gone. But Jesus, Jesus does as well. But Jesus wants to go a step further. He wants to take the lust that we have in our hearts and he wants to remove that from us. So that's ultimately what God is going to do. That's the kingdom of God where God is ruling and reigning in us where evil is being removed. And when evil is removed, um, how do I do this bit? I'll do another circle. Then eventually, God's space, again, will there be a new heaven and a new earth where God and the people who accept Jesus would be involved? Or what about all this evil? Where is that going to go? If you go to the book of Revelation, then it talks about the people who are in hell who don't believe, who still have evil, in them they are outside they're outside the heavenly city they are removed and the kingdom of god then is established our world is then back to being a perfect place that was the message that jesus went around teaching that god is in the process of wanting to forgive you for your sin but he's also in the process of wanting to remove evil from our world to re-establish a new world that's my presentation thank you can you push that back over there for me? Thanks. So Jesus went around Galilee to all of the towns and villages with a whiteboard and drawing a picture, just like that. What Jesus was doing was certainly preaching and teaching those truths. And he said it begins with a right attitude towards people, to God, but also to people, and it relies on prayer. So in this passage, Jesus goes on. When he saw the crowds, what did I do with my water? Is it over there? Can somebody just get me a glass of water or something? Otherwise I will. Oh, thank you. A cup of cold water given in Jesus' name. Thanks, Elena. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The reason he had compassion on them was because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the crowds. He noticed people. That's worth paying some attention to. Jesus just didn't see blank faces. He saw people and he felt something for them. There is not a person that God doesn't care about, even the child molester, even the worst criminal or a drug lord. God cares about them. He gives them the freedom to choose their terrible things that they choose to do, but he still um, cares for them and wants them to repent. If they did repent, he would receive them. Allah, the thief on the cross, he was a bad person who at the very end gave his life and he was accepted. Jesus has compassion on lost people because they're harassed and helpless. They're um, 
they're weary and they're worn out. They're lacking energy. They are confused and they don't know where life is going and where it's going to end. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep are creatures who have a propensity to go astray and they have no instinct on how to get home. It's not a bad analogy for us, is it? We have a tendency to go astray, to do our own thing, to do the wrong thing. And when we do, outside of Jesus and before we knew him, we had no idea how to be made right with God. But because of Jesus, we now do. And he invites us to join him in this mission. Jesus saw the crowds and we need to see lost people around us and in our relationships and circles of contact and so on. And we need to feel like he felt for them deep compassion to pray for them but to pray something else as well and then he said to the disciples here is the solution Um, I want you to um, he says the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few and I want you to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field the harvest that he is talking about that is plentiful are the results Uh, are people who are ready to commit their life to trusting him. Back in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has gone around preaching the gospel and he has planted the seed and the seed is now grown. It's become a plant and spring forth fruit and now the harvest is time to be brought in. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What do we do? Jesus says the solution, first step, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Who's the Lord of the harvest? Jesus is saying, so it's not him, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who raises up workers, the one who gives us gifts, the one who leads us out. That's the Holy Spirit who works in the heart of non-Christians to convict and to draw and so on. He's the Lord of the harvest. So we are to pray to him and to ask, please raise up other laborers and send them out. That's the first thing we are to pray. It doesn't say that we are to pray for the lost. We are. That's a good thing to do. It doesn't say we're to go to the lost and to share the gospel with them. That also is another command. But in this place, the thing that Jesus instructs his disciples to do is to pray. And pray, Lord, please raise up more workers, raise up other uh, labourers who can reap the harvest. And we should be praying that, and that God might very well bring people even into our own circle of relationships. But something will happen when you do that. God will, do a, God will certainly want to uh, answer that prayer because it's there, he's instructing us to pray it. But when he answers it, he'll also work in you. And you will find an increasing desire and burden to want to be part of those who are sharing the gospel with others. It's part of the process of how we grow. And that's what Jesus is doing with these 12 disciples because in chapter 10 he's going to go on and instruct them on how to go about it. So what have we said? We are to pray to the Lord of the harvest um, that he would send out people into the harvest field. How do we pray for awakening in Queensland? We pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up labourers, to raise up those who will serve him faithfully in our lives and in the lives of those who are around us. J.C. Ryle says this, personal sharing of the gospel, personal working for souls is good. Giving money to that end is good, but prayer is best of all. Because by prayer we reach him, without whom work and money are alike inadequate. 
we must obtain the aid of the Holy Spirit. Our first duty is to pray, to pray for workers, to pray for opportunities, to pray for open doors, open minds, open hearts, to pray. Because it's God who is in control, it's God who gives the growth. And the remarkable thing is, excuse me, that Matthew Henry says it, John Wesley says it, uh, experience of church revivalists seem to say the same thing, that when God stirs people to pray about something, it's because God intends to bestow that mercy or that blessing upon you. God wants to bring good things into our life, uh, right relationship with him, and so God will start tapping on the shoulder to pray for this person. That's certainly my background, my story. My small country town, there was the Baptist church was meeting and they were praying, and they were praying for me specifically, that I would come to faith. Took months and months, but behind it all was them praying and all the conversations that I was having. So that's the primary lesson that Jesus wants us to get, to pray. Here are the seven things that Jesus did, and let me give you that, and then we'll close. We'll stop. Number one, we are to go to them, to those who are outside the kingdom, just as Jesus went. He went around Galilee, approaching people, and he was teaching, preaching, and healing. So we're to do similar things but in sensitive and contemporary ways i'll talk about that again in a minute we are to serve them as jesus served jesus served them by meeting them at their point of need we can do that we can we we need to see them as jesus saw them he saw them as um, the crowds who were helpless and you know hassled and he noticed them we need to feel for them as Jesus felt. He had compassion for them and he felt deeply for them. We need to grow that in us. God needs to grow it in us. We need to pray and ask God to do that in us. We need to know about them as Jesus did. He knew that they were weary, they were scattered, they were sheep without a shepherd. He knew something about them. Here is one very simple way that I tell the morning congregations. There's a new book out, it's called Bless. If... I don't think anybody here tonight is, but if you're in the Master Life group that I just did, then you'll know about it. They knew about it. <clears throat> Bless is a way for us as followers of Jesus to be able to cooperate with God in this very important task of sharing the gospel story with them. B L E S S. B stands for begin with prayer. Pray for them. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send people into their life who are laborers who will share the gospel. Pray for them. And in the process of doing that, you'll be praying, you'll be moved yourself to perhaps be that very laborer who will be sharing the gospel with them. That's B. L. Listen to them. Talk to them. Listen to them. In a church context like this, that would work like this, that after church you get into your fellowship groups and your groups of your friends and the people you know and are very comfortable with and that's excellent that's fine that's partly what church is about but if you look outside of your group and look across the room somewhere you might very well find somebody sitting by themselves somebody hanging around somebody who's new or somebody who's something's going on for them <clears throat> they don't feel like mixing or whatever it is excuse yourself from your circle of friends and go across and introduce yourself to them if you don't know them and simply shake their hands and say hi this is my name um, how long have you been coming to Sunnybank? What's your name? You know, what do you do? Listen to them. Get to know them a little bit. And in the process of doing that, you'll pick up either comfortable vibes or not. And the E stands for eat. Eat with them. 
It's about building a relationship. It takes time. Have coffee with them. Have afternoon tea or something nice with them. Get to know them. If they're at schoolmates or at uni mates or work colleagues or sporting buddies, whatever. Begin with prayer. Listen to them. Eat with them. Be genuinely interested in them. Get to know them as people. S, serve them. Help them out. Let them help you out. We have uh, new neighbours moved in across the road. He's a bit of a handyman and I have some bushes that need cutting down. So I invited him to bring his chainsaw to hack my bushes to bits. <clears throat> he doesn't know Jesus. All I'm doing is building a relationship. His response to that is he and his wife are inviting us across to have afternoon tea one afternoon. Eat. So listen, begin with prayer, continue to pray, listen, eat and serve. And then in the midst of that, which takes months or time, it's not instant, and it's not a formula, we're not headhunters, it's share the story, share your story. Why is God more than just a word for you? Why, why do you go to church? How, why do you know Jesus? Or how do you know Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Tell the, your story, that's all. And if they're interested, they'll ask some more questions. But if not, just leave it. And continue to pray and listen and to eat with them and serve with them. And be a genuine. If they say, look, I'm, I like you as a person, but this Christianity thing is not for me. That's okay. That's their choice. God still loves them, so you still love them. And continue to your relationship with them. Okay? And then let God use you in that situation to perhaps turn them around. That's what Jesus did, if you look at his ministry. So know about them, <clears throat> bless them. And want for them what Jesus wanted, for them to hear the gospel message, for labourers in their life, gospel hearers and so on, and pray for them at the very end. And that's what we're going to do now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one who created all things and made them good. But the world, and including us, got astray when we decided to take things into our own hands and to assert our will. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus to remove evil from the world and the penalty of evil from us. Lord, here we are tonight, and I pray that you might go before us in the days of this week, that you might order our lives, arrange the context and the circumstances and the, the accidences and the coincidences of meeting people, and being able to develop relationships where over a process of time we can be the labourer for you in the work of the gospel. Lord, raise up more workers for the harvest. We know this is your will and so we know that you'll answer it and Lord, here we are and we are willing for you to work in us and to use us too. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.